Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome into the Friday edition of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I am Chad Withrow. If it looks lonely in studio today for me, it's because, well, quite frankly, it is. Jonathan Hutton, he's got a well-deserved day off. He'll be out on Monday as well. So I've asked someone to pitch in. In fact, someone that is very special. Not just very special to this show, very special to Outkick. And she has a writer in her contract that states, we must say every time, very special guest. She joins us weekly, but today she is a very special guest co-host. Charlie Arnault joins us from New York City on with us right now. She's back co-hosting the show today, Charlie. Uh, I'll give you a round of applause as well. I always yeah, like I opening with applause. Applaud Good the job. beautiful intro that you just gave me. That was, wow. I am one lucky special guest. Very special. Very special. We love having you on the show, Charlie. Appreciate you filling in today. We're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to start with something that's not necessarily fun. Uh, tragedy happened with a Titan sub and, and Ocean Gate, and we know now the fate of that. But we started the show talking about this yesterday, and it's really got America talking uh, about just the mindset that goes into deciding to spend $250,000 on doing something like this. And yesterday afternoon, we got a new report from Wall Street Journal that the U.S. Navy, with some of their uh, detection equipment, was able to hear the implosion of the sub uh, on Sunday and knew something was up and, in fact, informed the search party, the search team of that, when it happened. A really sad and crazy story, Charlie, that I know you've got a lot of thoughts on it. I feel like we could go a number of directions, but we continue to get more and more intel yeah. about what went down, and it really is nuts. It really is nuts, and yeah, when you talk about a whole different directions this could go in, um, you know, I think that there is a lot of new information that has come out that is a little bothersome uh, if you're really paying attention to what's happening. One being that they got information that there was a big explosion heard on Sunday, which was the day that the submarine went missing. Um, and as we know right now, this implosion of the submarine, uh, which, listen, on one hand, I'm very thankful to hear about this because it means that these people, good chances they weren't stuck on this sub for days on end, panic-stricken, wondering if they were ever going to be found. Uh, you know, counting down the hours worth of oxygen they had left. So on one hand, listen, if they died a very quick death, uh, as, you know, kind of horrible it is to think about, it's the best way you'd want them to go, right? You wouldn't want them to sit there uh, struggling and panicking for days on end. But on the other hand, if they did in fact hear this explosion on Sunday, if you are well-versed in the area of, you know, these nautical excursions and whatnot, you probably realize that's not a normal sound to hear. And they probably had a good idea at that point uh, that there's probably some type of type of devastating occurrence that happened. Uh, and now you have to wonder if you heard this on Sunday, why was that information not released sooner? Why would you delay it several days 
having not only the entire nation worried about it, you know, but especially the families of those who were on board. Uh, and I hate to be a conspiracy theorist, and I'm not the one who came up with this, uh, but we do realize that yesterday there was some information that came out, some very damning information that came out once again this week. It's like the third time this week that damning information has come out about one person, that person being Hunter Biden. Uh, we did have the information that a text was released that he was in the room with his father when making some very shady business threats to a businessman in China. And there's now people saying that this information was withheld purposely so that this information could be overshadowed a bit on the day that it was released. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but unfortunately, we've gotten to a point where we would put nothing past the Bidens or the DOJ. So I don't know what, what to think, but as far as just the story in general, my God, uh, more information also keeps coming out that is very concerning. Something that I find particularly uh, to be of the ultimate concern is that Years in the making, there was an employee of Ocean Gate. That's the one of the the company that launched this excursion. They actually raised safety concerns about the design of this specific submarine called the Titan, and the company's protocol for testing its reliability. And that employee was fired by Ocean Gate because he aired his complaints to government regulators and Ocean Gate's management, and then they signed him for breach of contract. So listen. If I'm now knowing that I had a loved one who was on this submarine that was not built properly or should have never taken this expedition, now I'm furious that you allowed someone close to me to go on that and put themselves in a position of danger that now ended so tragically like it did. So I could go on for days. You Should we spend all three oh, hours no, talking can, about uh, this? We're, we're going to okay. definitely spend the majority of this first segment talking about it because I'm very interested in this story also. And Charlie, we know that, you know, as far as conspiracy theory goes, that's one I had not even heard yet. We're going to hear a lot more. There's going to be a lot of speculation about this. There's going to be books written about it. There's going to be Netflix docu-series about this Ocean Gate company, about this voyage, about everything. So there's going to be no shortage of information in the months and years to come about this story because it has captivated America with what went down, and also the the search for, for these people. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, and kind of get into the, I don't know if morality is the right word, but just logically what civilians should be allowed to do and not allowed to do. Because the first time I heard this story, I, I understand there's a market for almost anything, but to charge $250,000 for someone to pay to really do something that only extremely experienced, trained people or scientists should be doing when it comes to deep sea, underwater searches like this and looking at things. Um, where do you come down on that? We have the ability now where you can pay enough money to go to space if you want. You know, if you're Tom Cruise, you can go do anything uh, stunt-wise, or you can get actors to fly in, in these uh, jets for movies and do things like that, but they're not actually flying the jet. This to me is almost like it's the next level of where we could go with what your money can do for you. I don't really know where I fall on it. I guess people can spend their money however they want, but what do you think about the ethics and morality of OceanGate and this company even offering this up for people to, to, to experience? Well, the joke here is, and you know, maybe too soon, but these people paid $250,000 for a one-way ticket, right? They expected a round trip. Uh, so unfortunately, they got gypped out of their money. Uh, 
what I think about it is you should be able to spend your money exactly how you want. If you want to spend a million dollars to go to the bottom of the ocean, if you want to spend your entire bank account and that of your family's going into space, that's up to you. That's what these families or these, not the families, these companies thrive on, right? They need wealthy individuals. Otherwise their company's strategy goes kaput. So I don't have any problem with how people want to spend their money. But if you're asking me, I don't care if I have all the money in the world, I'm not going to the bottom of the ocean. I'm not going into space. I want to stay right here where I can control what's going on around me. It's also free. It does not cost me a penny to sit on earth. And I listen, I love the Titanic. I was one of the biggest, you know, probably still am one of the biggest fans of the movie. I mean, it's kind of defines my childhood. If you I remember just as a little tangent, I remember when I was growing up and went and saw Titanic, it was such that because it wasn't digital yet, they had to have an intermission, roll half of the film. We all had to leave the theater while they loaded the next tape. And then we got to come in and watch the second half of the movie. So they basically sent us all to the back of the movie theater, which is, you know, pretty hilarious to think about in, you know, retrospect. But um, I mean, I think the Titanic is fascinating. I There's so many facets of it that are fascinating, especially given the, the tie into now this submarine crash. It's almost like, I don't know. It feels very creepy. You know what I mean? You're going yeah. to look at the shipwreck of a ship that was quote unsinkable. And now they're being taken out on the submarine that was supposed to be built to the highest of standards. Yet this had its horrific ending as well. Uh, but I, I will let the researchers do their job. Last night, actually on Sean Hannity's show, he had one of the people, the leading experts in these type of excursions who's gone down to look at the Titanic wreckage, you know, 30, 30 plus times without any issues. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, there's never been an issue like this going to look at the Titanic wreckage. Uh, so I think we leave it to the experts. Uh, we don't try to make this something that should be, um, I don't know, you could just be anyone and go. But then again, I'm not running these companies and I'm not looking for $250,000 a pop. So, you know, I guess I'm not the one to ask for it. I just know that I will not be partaking. Well, you, you brought up the movie Titanic, which is a, a personal favorite of mine, and I think a lot of people. James Cameron, of course, the director of that movie, and he got into that movie because he is obsessed with Titanic, and he has been down and he viewed the wreckage from over two miles underneath the ocean surface many times, maybe more than anyone else. Mm -hmm. Charlie, he's weighed in on this also and essentially said that many experts in the field, he talked about the community of people who go and tour the wreckage of the Titanic warned OceanGate that this is not safe for civilians, that what they're trying to do by charging people to go is unsafe and this would eventually happen. Now, the OceanGate responded and said, we had safety in mind first and foremost every time and went to great lengths to try to ensure safety for all of our passengers. But now you've got James Cameron, who's a bit of a nut also, uh, you know, in a good way. His, his craziness has inspired a lot of good art, like Terminator and Aliens and other movies like that. Uh, Titanic also, uh, Avatar. But he's a guy obsessed with Titanic that's been down there a lot and said, you know, maybe this wasn't the safest way to do it. I think in hindsight and retrospect, we can say, yeah, with the tragedy that happened, that's the case. But this wasn't the first time they went down there. This is something it that is, happened many times before, right? With no big issues. Yeah, but it's not the question of, or is this an expedition that's safe enough to go down with civilians? That's that's not where the safety issue is being raised. The issue is being raised that there were safety concerns about this particular vessel for years now. 
They they worried that the approach to the way it was built, the materials that they used. Uh, they even I heard some expert refer to it as you know off the shelf type of products. You know these are pro- products. You know when when you think about the 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 risk that you're putting people in and, and the the immense amount of pressure that these submarines have to withstand to go down as many miles and it's you know they talk about the water outside of the submarine like it's so cold that it's literally ice um so the the pressure that it has to withstand is so great that it needs to be made with the highest levels of care and expertise and people said that this particular vessel the the Titan was not up to standards and and they ignored those concerns. And now look what happened. So I I can guarantee you there's going to be some major lawsuits in the near future. Yeah, and I think the fact that it, you know, it, a lot of people that are just die hard they they have to get the thrill, they have to do it. The people who spend money to go into space on SpaceX, the people that yeah. have spend the money with OceanGate to do it, if they see one person or one group that's done it safely, that's all the assurance they need to do it. You know, they don't necessarily need to see it time and time again hundreds or thousands of voyages before they sign up for it because they're so motivated to get it done. That $250,000 cost, that proves your motivation if you're going to go do this. So I'm with you on that. There's a lot of fascinating aspects of this uh, that we can discuss. Uh, In working in media also, Charlie, there's some fascinating aspects of our jobs and doing our job. And if you're interviewing someone or you're presenting something, there are times where you have to bring up the uncomfortable or mention a fact that may not be the best for the subject of the interview or who you're talking about. This happened last night at the NBA draft when Malika Andrews gets ripped by almost all of Twitter for simply stating facts and bringing up the controversy surrounding Brandon Miller when he's drafted number two overall by the Charlotte Hornets. Charlie, you've been in this position before uh, where you're presenting something. She's just doing her job. I don't think she did anything out of the ordinary but yet people are ripping her because she was, quote, unquote, bringing someone down in their moment of joy. What are your thoughts on this? You know, I can't say that I fault Malika for anything that she did. That's right. As a journalist, you are expected to report the facts, which is hilarious because most of the journalists in our country don't do that anymore. Uh, But anyways, I, I see nothing wrong with what she did. I think even in the environment and situation in which she did. I understand that people, this is a night to celebrate and they don't need people to be reminded of the flaws of players from the past. I get it. But if this is what ESPN wanted her to report on, then she was doing her job. I think that if she went off script and decided, Hey, uh, this wasn't expected of me, but I'm going to take it upon myself to drudge up this, uh, you know, what I would say is probably a, um, a big black mark on his legacy and, you know, potentially being the accessory to a crime, which he was never charged or convicted of. But, you know, technically, if you look at the facts that that could have been the case and things played out a different way, uh, then I think she's in the wrong. But, you know, it is what it is. I just think when it comes down to it, teams didn't care. Uh, They still don't care. They won't care. Uh, This is going to be a non-story tomorrow. I think people are, you know, the thing is people are always looking to be mad about something. So it's not surprising that they would find this situation and try to turn it into a negative because that's what people do these days. And you got to treat everyone like they're new to it, right? I mean, when you're, you're presenting something, there's a, there's a balance between, Hey, here's how a draft works. And these teams that are worse get to draft higher and a lottery happen. And when they draft them, this is what happens to the player you assume that someone watching your program knows that part of it, 
But you also have to go under the assumption that for some NBA fans that maybe don't follow college basketball, maybe you're informing them for the first time about the Alabama basketball murder and what happened with Brandon Miller, <laughs> if, right? I listen, mean, there are plenty of people who watch things that wouldn't know that, that she's just doing her job informing her audience. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, here's my thing. If you're a big basketball fan, especially if you are a honed-in Alabama fan and you did not know about this, then you were living under a complete rock, and I have to wonder, like, uh, well, where of course, getting- I'm saying everyone tuning in, watching the NBA draft, they're not all big Alabama fans or college basketball of fans. Course. So okay, you yeah, have exactly. to assume you have to. When I set up a story on here, I've got to sometimes say the story a little bit, just under the assumption not everyone knows what we're talking about. Even though Charlie, yeah. clearly, you as a very special guest, you know all the stories. So do I. But we have to treat the audience right. Like, yeah, hey, maybe they think, don't know it. Listen, I think if there was five other players in the draft who were expected to go in the first round, because that's where all of the publicity is focused on, right? You know, we you don't get as much coverage on the second and the third rounds because people aren't as excited about those players. But let's just say hypothetically, which, you know, crossing my fingers, there's never the situation where there's four players that got into some trouble on the level of this, like Brandon Miller, uh, in the course of the regular season leading up to this draft. We're back on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. I'm Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton out today, back on Tuesday. Charlie Arnold, our very special guest co-host today and Monday on the program. And we've got a great guest with us right now. Our buddy, Danny Cannell, former Florida State quarterback, great, currently with CBS uh, College Football Analyst, also a serious XM host, on with us right now. Danny, looking great as always, man. Appreciate you hopping on with us. What's up, Chad? How's it going? You know, it's summer. It's a little slow. I got the request, and I was like, I don't know. You know, it's summer. There's not a lot of topics. Then I heard the newest star of Outkick and Fox News was co-hosting. No offense to uh-huh. Hut. When I heard Charlie was on, I was like, I'm in. Yes. I'm done. Yeah, that's yeah. We, we usually just dangle that carrot out there for all of our guests. Like, oh, did you know, by I the love. way, that Hutton's out and Charlie's in, or I'm out and Charlie. And then, yeah, they always sign up to come on and, and be a guest with us. So I'm glad okay. you took the carrot also right there, Danny. I'm, <laughs> I'm about to serve you up a big old fat carrot right now because okay. I know you're going to have an opinion and a hot take on this one. Nick Saban goes on with Joel Klatt. And while I think and I agree with about 90% of what Nick Saban says in regards to what's best for college football, I also laugh because every time he talks about what's best for college football is also very self-serving because it's always what's best for Nick Saban and Alabama as well. And this past week, he tells Joel Klatt that uh, essentially, you know, I want to get the best teams in. It shouldn't just be about losses or how many losses you have. And when I saw that my Alabama team would have been favored over three of the four playoff teams last year, I'm thinking to myself, well, why are we not in the playoff? Which is hysterical to me that now you have a coach who complains about Vegas point spreads and lines and predictions from analysts touting a Vegas point spread as a reason why his team should be in the college football playoff. Danny, your thoughts. Chad, I was flabbergasted. This is not the first time. If you remember halftime of the big 10 championship game, he goes on Fox, which is kind of unusual in itself because, you know, ESPN owns the sec and like, that's an unusual spot for him to be. And he was campaigning for his team to get in the playoff. And he referenced the same thing. He referenced the lines and said, we'd be favored against TCU. We'd be favored against these other teams. 
And he got skewered for it then, myself included. I called him out. I said, wait a second, what we can't be referencing those. Like if we're gonna if we're gonna base the selection of the four teams just on the Vegas lines, then why play the regular season if we're just gonna go off of who you know is favored by some algorithm that comes up by some computer model? So I hated it at the time. I'm surprised he went back to it, Chad, to be honest with you, because of the reaction from the first time around, because I thought it was a bad look then. I think it's a worse look now. And I think it like just opens up the door again to have people to remind Nick Saban that they were a seven point favorite against Tennessee and lost. They were a 13 and a half point favorite against LSU at home and lost. They were almost a 20, you know, 21 point favorite against Texas, barely dodged that one, got out with a win, but didn't cover like, so it re it lets us rehash the season, which was by all accounts a failure instead of focusing on, man, they look dominant against Kansas state in their bowl game. And that man, they didn't overlook a bowl team. You know, like it, you're focusing on the wrong things, but it is one of a few reasons, Chad, why I think that we're seeing the, 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 the cracks in the foundation of the, the Alabama dynasty. Like, I think it's coming to a close. Does it mean they can't make the playoffs again, or it's maybe they won't win another day. championship? Big statement. No. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think, I think this is the beginning of the end and yeah. you're seeing Nick Saban is worried about that too. Well, I think a biggest part of maybe the beginning of the end is what his uh, former protege Kirby smart is doing uh, with back-to-back <laughs> national championships. And now Starting uh, next year, we're going to get to see Alabama host Georgia in a game with that new SEC schedule. Uh, what did you make about the SEC's plan to sort of bridge the gap before they can get a new television contract done of going with the eight conference games plus the one Power Five non-conference game for each team? And I think your alma mater probably has something to do with that with Florida and others arguing, hey, we play Florida State every year. South Carolina saying we play Clemson every year. Kentucky saying we play Louisville. Make some of these other teams play another Power 5 opponent outside the SEC. I I hate it. I think everyone hates it, Uh, but I understand it. The SEC and Greg Sankey is always going to do what's best for the SEC and to put their – yeah, to get the most money, but also to get the most teams in the playoff, to have the most bowl-eligible teams – to have the best perception around college football. And when you can schedule a cupcake in there as one of those four non-conference and sometimes two and even three, then it boosts everybody in the conference. And it's also benefited the ACC. Like it's helped them too. There's a reason why the ACC and the SEC have had the most teams in the playoff since the beginning of the college you know, football playoff era, because they both have only played eight conference games. I totally understand the pushback because I do think it's a valid point. Hey, we do have this gauntlet. We do go through it, but the big 10 does it. The PAC 12 does it. uh, The big 12 does it. Other conferences are doing it as well. And it's hurt them, which I think is what Greg Sankey's looked at. Well, look at the PAC 12. They keep cannibalizing their own. They keep on keeping each other out of the playoffs because you see a conference champ with a 10 and two record and goes on, you know, 11 and two, and they get left out of the playoff discussion that's what the SEC seasons are like. Why would we beat each other up? It gives us less opportunity in the postseason. So until we get that expanded, you know, and it's we start to see what that shapes up, and until they get more pressure and more financial reward from the ESPN deal, they're going to say, you know what, we're going to keep doing the things the way we have. I do think we get to nine games sooner than later, and I think it's the best thing for college football. Can I say something real quick? Because I actually, 
Uh, you guys popped up on my Twitter feed, right? Was my radio show. And so I watched your first segment. I've been enthralled with the submarine uh, story as well. I think you guys what left out one detail. Maybe you didn't, maybe I missed it. No, but, please. Like, Cause I'm with you guys. I'm kind of like, who would want to spend that much money to go down there to put your life at risk? I could maybe buy into it. If once you got down there, you like stayed in a hotel and you like <laughs> got to go out and scuba and you could explore and you could like see things. But to go down and essentially what was your coffin and only have a window, it's like a foot wide. That to me was like the thing that everyone's overlooking. Like you don't even get to really experience anything except you see it in the window. You can watch better on a TV, like in a yeah. virtual reality from a camera. Like, nat I, like National Geographic, just why? Yeah, exactly. uh, I can, like I can tell on my computer. And, and hey, if you're going like a James Bond, supervillain, underwater, you know, laboratory, and you can yeah. stay there for the night. Yeah, I could see right. the appeal of that. But yeah, going in but that I don't small get, I don't get little submersible. That's actually such yeah. a good point. And actually, I, you know, now that we're, we're back here, one more detail I'd like to add. And you know, there's no bathroom on board, right? Yeah. So like, it, what if what if you make the mistake of not releasing, you know, <laughs> your fluids before you go down? And then you're like, oh, my. And then you can't even enjoy it because you have to pee so bad. Right. Apparently they just did like what every family does on a road trip for your kids. Just hand them the empty Gatorade bottle or Coke bottle and say, here you go. Like, apparently that must be the model, and the method that they use, because like a lot of things on this sub, it was not very well planned out. Hopefully Sorry no for the side lime. track. Yeah. Hopefully no lemon lime Gatorade fans on that submersible. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. So I have another question getting back uh, to the landscape of college sports. Uh, you probably heard recently North Carolina's head football coach, Mac Brown. He had some predictions for maybe the direction that the college football landscape heads in. Uh, he actually said on the Paul Feinbaum show that he thought student athletes were going to become more like employees of the university where they're actually subjected to more of what is considered a salary cap in order to even out the playing field since we're seeing so many people or athletes transferring to go to different schools because they see the off the field opportunities being just as great as the on the field. Uh, what's your thoughts as far as that goes? So Charlie, I love Mac. He's a guy I worked with at ESPN. We shared a studio together for a year. He recruited me out of high school uh, when he was at North Carolina the first time around. He's like the unofficial like, you know how a fraternity has a godfather? The coaching community is very much like a fraternity, and he's the godfather. Like, everyone looks up to Mac Brown. So it's similar to Nick Saban. When he speaks, people listen. When I, when I hear coaches, and he's not the only one that says this, to me it's amazing how far we've come so fast in the opinions of coaches on getting paid and pay for play, and they're all on board with NIL. Five years ago, if you would have asked any coach about paying players, they all would have said, ah, oh, it's the worst thing ever. There's no way we can pay the players. You know, we're gonna, there's, we just can't do this. Then we say, and that they would have said the same thing about NIL, but now, and here's the key point, because they have to, they have bought in. And this is basically a survival mode for the coaches because for the existence of the sport, the courts have ruled against the old model of amateurism. And so now the coaches are quickly getting on board, which I do think is smart. And they're realizing, okay, NIL was a step in the right direction. And I think a lot of coaches, and I'm, I actually thought this too, thought NIL was a good compromise. We don't want these players to be employees, but we think there's, it makes sense for them to be able to sign an endorsement deal. If there's a Heisman trophy winner to do a Heisman house commercial, why wouldn't we let them do that? You know, if there's a guy who's a defensive player of the year, why wouldn't we let them have a car at the local car dealership? Like that makes sense. 
what the coaches and I don't think a lot of people anticipated was the direction we've gone now where mm-hmm. NIL is a sham. It is more pay for play. And you're seeing high schoolers sign $8 million deals to go play and they haven't built any brand. They haven't had any success. And so this has become very unstructured. It's wild. They don't have any control. And if you've ever worked with a college football coach or any coach, really, they want to control the controllables. There's nothing to control. They yeah. can't because a player can leave anytime he wants. They, they don't sign a contract that's long-term. So they basically have no idea what their roster is going to look like year to year. So all of a sudden, quickly, they have come around on the employee relationship, you know, that employee model that is coming. And it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. Brett Kavanaugh has, you know, on the record uh, in the Alston ruling, ruling said, this is the biggest monopoly we've seen. You cannot have an unpaid workforce. So it's going to happen. The only thing that I'm scared of is they do want, like, Congress to get involved. And if they, if somebody doesn't take the bull by the horns and come up with a model of their own, yeah, Congress will get involved. And I don't know if that's the best idea, especially considering what our politicians have done in other aspects. So it's coming and coaches are trying to get on board with it. I think so that it happens sooner rather than later because they hate the current environment, which is just players running amok and signing deals and leaving and there's going to be some lawsuits from players not getting paid on NIL money. It's just a complete mess in college in the college landscape right now. Yeah, I can only imagine the distractions it causes. I mean, you are, you know, the, the whole point of being an athlete is it teaches you because I know, you know, myself being an athlete, you know, there's a lot of it really lays the groundwork to have like a very disciplined lifestyle to have good work ethic to work as a team. And now it feels like instead of having that team atmosphere, everyone's really out for themselves. And that's the opposite of what you want to have in college sports. And especially the kind of lessons you want to instill in these long, these uh, young athletes before they, some of them go off to play professionally. Charlie, you make a great point. And I, I think it's almost, I think it was even happened pre NIL and it's, I don't know if it's a generational thing, but teams have always been about the team, right? It's always been like when I was at Florida state, when I went there, uh, coach Bowden, who's a legendary coach had a shirt and it said he was in it. This is at a time when you could preach as a head coach. He was more of a preacher than a head coach. He had shirts made up and it said God in big letters. It said team. And then it said me in the smallest letters in the bottom of the shirt. And the message was get right with God. He's your first priority. Then it's your team. And then it's you are last. And we've, we flip-flopped that in so many ways where now everyone is out for themselves. How do I get my payday? How do I secure the bag? How do I go ahead? And if I'm not playing, I need to find somewhere where I can play as opposed to, you know what? My role on this team this year may not be what's best for me, but it's going to help the team. And I'm going to get developed over time. And it it's not only the players, it, it comes, comes in with the coaches too, because there's so much money at stake it has really impacted, I think, athletics everywhere in a negative way where everyone is out for themselves. And what I think what makes me sad about football is football is the greatest team sport I think we've ever seen. And it's infected the game like a cancer, this selfishness that's crept in over the last 10 to 20 years. Danny Cannell, one of the very best college football analysts for CBS, Sirius XM host. Danny, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it, man. Always great talking some ball with you. Yeah, thanks, Danny, Dad. thank you so much. And thanks for weighing in on the, the uh, 
the uh, submarine disaster. I liked hearing your insights. I couldn't let that go by. Nice talking to you, Charlie. We'll see you, Chad. Absolutely, Danny. A little college football talk, a little Ocean Gate talk, a little fashion talk. We'll become fashionistas when we come back. Grady Dick, what in the hell was he wearing? That's what everyone wants to know. We'll break it down. We'll also discuss what are some of these teams that these prospects are coming from in the NBA draft? Who cares? Should we care? Who knows? We'll find out. We'll ask all the important questions when we come back. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. We're back. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow, but no Hutton today. I'm Withrow. And we've got Arnault with us. Very special guest, Charlie Arnault, joining us from New York City right now. And uh, it's great that we have Charlie on today because in this segment, we want to get into a little bit of fashion. And let's face it, she probably knows a lot more about fashion than I know about fashion. So I have to ask the question, Charlie, in seeing the outfit that we're going to show that Grady Dick wore last night, I guess these are like sequins and a lot of sparkle and a lot of shoulder pad to go with this with the matching undershirt turtleneck with the jacket. What on earth is happening in this photo? What is Grady Dick thinking? I mean, this is a Toto. I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Look, (laughs) I love it. I think it's great. You want to know why? I like an outfit that has a theme. Like, would I want my date to wear this out to dinner? No, unless we were going to like a big gala or something like fancy, then maybe, you know, um, but yeah, no, I like that there's a theme. He's a Kansas boy. So I think it makes sense. And he's he's representing his hometown and he's making a statement. I mean, I was actually just laughing because, wow, the draft looks have come such a long way since the days of the baggy suits. Remember those? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That I two, mean, the, the 2003 th- draft with uh, LeBron yeah, James like throwing had, on the like, huge suits. Yeah. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh. I mean, it's so funny. I, I love now when you see a guy, it was funny the other day, actually, Kevin O'Leary was on Hannity and I had posted a photo with him because I got it after the show and his pants, you know, he's there. People are like, wait a second. Isn't he like worth so much money? Why doesn't he get his suit pants tailored? Well, <laughs> he looks like he was in the 2003 draft, uh, but that's how it, that's how it was. You know, that was the style, but now everything's much more tailored, much more custom. Uh, so I always enjoy the draft outfits. It's truly one of my, actually, you know what? I'm just going to be straight up. It is my favorite thing about the NBA draft because I don't even like the NBA that much anymore because I find it to be a complete sham. Well, he looks like uh, <laughs> he's about to try to pull off a triple axle in his uh, routine in <laughs> figure skating on, on Blades <laughs> of Glory when you look at the outfit. Oh and just, just his overall look, too. He looks like a figure skater. You're right. His in the hair, face his also. Face. Yes. And like, he's got like that Swedish look. Yes. He looks very Scandinavian with the yes, look, the, the hair. Looks a little bit like Davey Hudson with the hair also. We'll, we'll see Davey and hear from him a little bit later. But definitely looks like a figure skater. And you're spot on right. So like the early 2000s, that was my college era. So you talked about yeah. the 2003 NBA draft. Charlie, was there a worse time for really both men's and women's fashion than the early 2000s? Like that was okay, a pretty actually- rough time for fashion, especially for men. Yeah, but Chad, here's what you don't, okay, okay, for men, yes, but here's what you don't understand for women, while I look back on so many of the fashion choices I made during that era, now I see the Gen Zers running around, and they are acting like it was their idea, and I'm like, excuse me, (laughs) I ran so you could walk, okay, don't you dare 
try to take this from me. Okay. I was wearing that. That was a, that was a staple from Hollister and Abercrombie back in the day. Okay. You didn't just come up with this. Uh, but yeah, fashion is so funny because it is so cyclical and we're probably going to see these baggy pants from 2003 make a comeback in a few years from now. People are going to be like, Oh my, Oh my goodness. Can you, these are awesome. And it's like, it didn't do that. But yeah, you know what? I remember the most. And I'm going to ask if you were guilty of this. I probably was. Did Go ahead. you wear? Did you wear the double popped collars? No, that I feel like that was a little bit before my time. That was maybe like mid to late '80s. So I never no, went with a double pop collar. What are you talking about? So no came, way. you're telling oh, me it came back in the 2000s? Oh my gosh! Yeah, you don't remember like the the Hollister and Abercrombie like where you take oh, the two yeah, different yeah, colors? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm seeing like a bro with like really big hair that's kind of going <laughs> up, you know, styled up. And then they're wearing yeah. it with the two, the double pop collars. And now I get where you're going. And I did not do that. No, I was oh not my, guilty I, of this. I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful because I look back on those days. I mean, even girls were doing it for a while. And you'd have the longer tank top coming out of the, the collared shirts with the jean skirt and the Ugg boots. Yes. Uh, mom what jeans are back, right? Aren't mom jeans t- kind of a thing mom now? Mom jeans are back. Uh, it, and actually, I'm thankful for that because, you know, when you go to town on some pizza afterwards, you don't have to worry about it. You can just... Let it all relax. Yeah, the, the more moms had it figured out years ago, right? Like there was a practical reason for this, and the moms had it exactly. figured out with these jeans. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's great. I think in, in some regards, I'm totally appreciative of these uh, these comebacks we're witnessing. Now, l- let me ask you this though, in regards to Grady Dick in this outfit, and I'll say this for any wild, crazy outfit. And you're right; they are much more tailored form-fitting for men with their suits they're wearing now and outfits at all of these big events, NFL draft, NBA draft, you name it. But could anyone that's not a first-round NBA lottery pick really pull off this look? I think a part of the appeal is, Charlie, that you have some status, you're about to make a lot of money, you've got some celebrity to you. Like, if you're just some dude walking around and you go out to, even if it's a nice gala, and you show up in this, I don't think it's as well-received. I think part of the appeal of wearing something like this and getting away with it is you are a celebrity athlete or a celebrity in some way. Tell me I'm wrong with that. Okay, you're not wrong. There's one, like, there's an exact, when you say these things, there's, and I'm trying to remember who it was. Who is the athlete? I mean, he's, he did it a few times walking. You know, one of the big also uh, highlights of the NBA games is not the game itself, but watching the players walk into the arenas in their various, you know, even NFL players as well, like getting off the plane onto the tarmac, you see them in their, you know, whatever fashion choices that they decide to make. But there was one NBA player who had a sweater whose sleeves extended (laughs) like a good two feet past his hand. (laughs) Yes. Was it it Russell Westbrook? No, it wasn't Russell Westbrook. It was, um, Oh my gosh, I can't remember. I, I know exactly. Um, I, I can see the look right now, and I cannot think, I think of the he, player. Did he, play, he played for the Lakers. Um, oh sure? God, was it? Uh, it wasn't LeBron. You sure it wasn't Russell Westbrook when he was on yeah, the, the was, Lakers? Yeah, you're right. It was Lakers though. It wasn't. It wasn't him though. Um, was it Russell? Oh man, who was it? He's. I don't think. He, anyway, I think we'll he got find. It. We, we've got our crack research traded. team He's on it right now. Lakers we're we're gonna. Either. We're gonna figure but that anyway, out. We'll, We'll find out. But um, here's the thing. If I ever saw a regular man walking down the street in that sweater, I would absolutely laugh at him and be like, what the hell are you doing? And say you you're look like homeless, moron. right? You but probably he, think they're but homeless. On this, but on this guy, I'm like, oh, word. Okay, I can get behind this. And it again, 
I, 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 look, I, I'm guilty of this too. I'm thinking top NBA draft pick, hot, any other guy, not, if you're going to try to pull this outfit off. Yeah. One yeah, way or the absolutely. Other. Uh, Kyle Kuzma was the player that wore the uh, the outfit, is what we're being told. Kyle Kuzma, yes, yeah, that's it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Brooke found that for us. Thank you, Brooke, for fi- you, finding Brooke. that. So Kyle Kuzma was the player who was guilty of that. Um, we had twins make NBA history last night as first-round picks. Back-to-back picks, Amen and Asar Thompson were drafted. And this is what jumps out to me about this story, Charlie, is – if you didn't know who they were, don't feel bad because not many people did because they played for something called the City Reapers in the Overtime Elite League. This is what baffles me about the NBA draft and why I'm not nearly as into it as I once was because for so long you got to know guys playing college basketball, even if only for a year or two, you got to know them before they went to the draft. Now we have the City Reapers, the G League Ignite, the European and international influence has been going on for a while, but uh, multiple players from France, Serbia, New Zealand, Turkey, all drafted last night. When I'm going through that top 15, it's sad how few players I recognized or know, and even some of them that just had a flash in the pan, had a one minute of success in college for a year that were drafted high in this draft. Yeah, I uh, I think it's interesting, especially like I you mentioned you there's players all over the board. I mean. The other week, I or not the other day, I was in uh, the Fox Business Studio, and Jordan Haber was there, and he didn't even ever play basketball, <laughs> and he was entering the draft because he found a loophole. And I was like, "Well, this is what we're doing now. All right, got it. Uh, the draft can no longer be taken too seriously." But you know what? I don't know. I don't. I like I said, the draft to me already has lost a lot of its luster because the NBA has lost some of its luster for me. So I didn't. I didn't really watch well i didn't watch a minute of the draft last night i'm just going to be totally honest with you does uh derek jeter still have some luster for you because he's making his fox broadcasting yeah, debut derek, tomorrow derek jeter is, is a legend he's, he's still got some luster for me yeah so um i think having watched the docuseries about him and seeing him more on camera it's always hit or miss with these guys in media because you can be a charismatic player uh, i think of joe montana as an example You know, Mm -hmm. good-looking, charismatic guy, leader of men as quarterback for the 49ers, and then terrible as a television personality when he went and did TV. So it can be hit or miss with guys, but Jeter's one of those that he has such a level of gravitas every time you see him as the captain that I think it's just bound to work. And he's going to be on the call tomorrow for the London series, Cardinals-Cubs, 1.10 p.m. Eastern time on Fox. He'll be on with his old buddy, A-Rod, Kevin Burkhart, and David Ortiz. Oh, that'll be so fun. I think it's going to be good, Charlie, don't you? Imagine the most fun is going to be what we don't have access to, the commercial breaks. Yeah. You know, what what they're probably going to be talking about and the jokes they're going to be, you know, talking about and all that is going to be so entertaining. But, of course, we don't have access to that. But, listen, Derek Jeter is one of those guys where, like you said, so much gravitas – He's got a ton of confidence. He's got so many accomplishments and accolades under his belt that I think anything that comes out of his mouth, even the least interesting thing he could say would be the most interesting thing a traditional broadcaster could say. Uh, So I'm really excited to see what's in store for him. And I also think he's being surrounded by an all-star team who's going to pull the best out of him. And I think that's another thing is you can have an athlete who's maybe not so trained or accomplished or seasoned uh, in the broadcasting booth, put them around the right people 
put good energy into the space and they will be a champ. It's not what you expect out of them on day one. Sometimes it's, it's what you get out of them more in the long run. So I don't, I don't see any, uh, issues happening with Derek Jeter though. So I'm a believer in story over stat. I'm a believer in that on, on this show. I'm a believer in that when I'm watching a game. Stats are can be helpful in terms of painting the outsides of a picture when you're talking about a game or calling a game. But I love the personal story element of any yes. game broadcast. I much prefer that. I feel like if Jeter opens up, and A-Rod's been very good about this in his broadcast career, that when they open up and start telling stories or just not even stories – hey, here's what I'd be thinking on this 2-1 count against a guy who throws a lot of curveballs. When they can give you some insight into mm -hmm. the mind of a player, to me that always is so much more entertaining and better and helps during a broadcast than someone who's just laying out stats over and over. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with you. And I think that's why, for example, the Manning simulcast works so well on ESPN. Yes. Because a lot of times people are watching these games, you know, and it, it's fun to hear the play-by-play. -play and But it, a lot of times you have casual fans who are tuning into the game just because it's a fun way to spend the time. But really, they're like, you know, drinking a few drinks, talking to their friends also on the side. So to be able to then watch the game and then have the storytelling by the Mannings as part of it makes it so much cooler uh, in a lot of fans' eyes. And, of course, you know me, I'm an Indianapolis girl, so Peyton Manning is the best. We have that in common. You're an Indianapolis girl with Peyton Manning. I'm a Tennessee guy. Peyton Manning, we both share yeah. a love of, of Peyton Manning. And the personality. I mean, he's they yes. were made for that type of, of, of broadcast with the rapport the two brothers have and how they can bring the best and the jokes they can lean into uh, with that. I, I, I'm with you. It's, it's great. I, I talked about you know watching a Braves broadcast earlier this year, and they didn't have a traditional play-by-play -play voice. And instead, they had Chipper Jones, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz come in for a night, and Jeff Francoeur, who's their normal color guy, but they all played together. So it was four yeah. players in the booth, and they would alternate innings on who would call play-by-play. -play. And they got a great game against the Mets to call, but I'm watching this and thinking, someone's going to jump on this. Someone's going to hear this and see this and think, you know, maybe we could just do for our Major League Baseball every game broadcast something without a play-by-play -play voice and just get two entertaining former players in that can tell stories and joke with each team, other. I think the Rays broadcast team just won an Emmy too. I think they were they won some type, some type of award. So what you're saying is obviously very true because other people are recognizing it as well. Absolutely. Charlie Arnold is with us. Very special guest co-host with us on today's edition of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, fighting. Charlie knows a thing or two about that. I don't know if she knows how to handicap a fight between Elon Musk and Zuck. And that's what very well may actually happen. No, I'm not joking. Zuck versus Musk. We'll discuss when we come back. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow.